Today's word will come from John 13, verses 1 to 17. Let's all rise for the reading of God's word. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Many of us are familiar with the wedding vow goes such as I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband and wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. We all know the end until death do us part. And on occasion after watching a sad movie on some nights, I will turn over to my wife in bed in deep thought, and I say, you know, honey, if I die before you, I want you to find a good man. And she'll look over at me and say, stop it. I just nod my head, and I say, find a good man. Turn back around. And I'll think some more. And after a while, turn back around and say, honey, What about me? 
She says, what about you? Stop it. You know, one of the greatest vows of love we can take is on the wedding day. We vow to one another that we would love each other till death do us part. But can we imagine for just a moment, for the next few moments here, a love that would vow itself to us, not until death parts us, but to the end. To the end. We're told in verse 1 that Jesus loved his own who were in the world to the end. To the end of his life, but also to the end of the life of those who follow him. Can you imagine a love this rich, this deep, this profound, but also that goes to this length, to this end? This first verse here serves as an introduction for the next few chapters to about chapter 17, which altogether 13 to 17 is known as the final discourse. But verse 1 here will also kick us off into today's text as we look at Jesus and what he is doing for his disciples. So today, I hope you have come with hearts that desire to see Jesus. Because even though this is a familiar text of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, I pray we will see in deeper ways how he really loves his own to the end. So the gospel message today is that Jesus loves his own to the end. And we'll look at this in three parts. That Jesus loves his own to the end by taking the form of a servant by performing the act of a servant, and by setting the example for servants. So we'll look at the form, the act, and the example. So the first point, we look at verses 2 to 4. During supper, when Jesus already knew that Judas would betray him, during supper, when Jesus already were given all things by the Father, he rises up and he crushes Judas. And he crushes everyone who stood against him. And he sits down, he finishes his meal, and then he goes back to heaven, he sits down, and he has dessert. That's not what happened. What he actually does in this moment where Jesus knows that he will be betrayed, when Jesus knows that he has been given all things by the Father, instead of rising up in power to crush and to nip at the bud, he actually rises, and we're told he lays aside his outer garments, and he takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. As we think about this, we're reminded that Jesus in this moment, although he is all-powerful, came for a specific reason. We're told here specifically that he takes the form of a servant. And he doesn't take the form of a servant because it's his only option. He doesn't do this because he has no other choices and he's cornered and he's limited. But he does this in obedience to the Father. 
We're reminded here of a text that we visited a couple weeks ago in Philippians 2, if we could look. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped for selfish ambition. I'm explaining a little bit as we go. But he emptied himself. In a way, you can say he laid his power aside by taking the form of a servant, we are told, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in Philippians 2, Paul shows us the humility of Christ by how he condescended from heaven's throne. But here in our text in John 13, John would have us see Jesus in a very practical way of taking on the form of a servant as he lays aside his outer garments and he takes a towel, he ties it around his waist, distinguishing himself in front of his own very servants that he has come to serve them. But we know the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ is not that he just dressed up as a servant. He wasn't playing dress up, but he actually does the act of a servant. And so we'll look at our second point. That Jesus not only loves his own to the end by taking the form of a servant, but also performing the act of a servant. If we look in verse 5, upon laying aside his outer garment, upon taking the towel on his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And we see that he even does this to Judas. He does this for all twelve who are there. Knowing full well that he would be the one to betray Jesus, he still in love washes, so to speak, his enemy's feet, the one who would betray him. And it's interesting to note that Jesus does this during supper. If we think about the context in which they're in, the washing of the feet is usually done before supper. As we can imagine, Back then, everyone walking around in sandals, the feet were often dirty. I actually wanted to wear my Birkenstocks today to, to just like really get in the mood, but I was scolded by, I won't say who, not to do that. But we know that the feet got dirty, and this washing of the feet was necessary, particularly before mealtime. But we can imagine that the meal has started, and Jesus rises up during the meal. This is a humble task, the washing of the feet. Commentators say that this, this act of washing feet was so low that they didn't even want Jewish slaves to do this. They said this should just be reserved for Gentile slaves or for children. This was such a, a humbling, humiliating task that peers would not do this for one another. And to think a master 
would do this for their servant. Well, there was just no categories for that. That was out of this world. That, that was outside of what the disciples could think. We can imagine that as they're sitting, they weren't even willing to wash one another's feet. They're sitting together, eating, I imagine. They're thinking to one another, perhaps a woody one jokes to the guy next to him. So I guess nobody's going to wash our feet, huh? <laughs> we'll just eat here. This smells and it's stinky. And, you know, they're not at a table where the feet are below them. They are sitting closer to the ground where the feet are laid aside to the person next to them. Yet in this moment where no one is willing to humble themselves before one another, we see Jesus in the form of a servant humbling himself to do the act of a servant. Where he stands up, no one's going to wash one another's feet, huh? I will wash your feet. I will wash your feet, brothers. And when Jesus washes the feet, although it's an offensive thing, stinky with jam and callus and corn and rigid nails, toes mutilated from the pressures of the sandals, dirt stuck in the web, Jesus is not offended at all. His love is greater than that. And he washes the feet of his disciples. He washes the feet of his disciples because they are dirty. Just as the doctor goes to the sick, the Savior washes the feet of those who have wandered these dusty roads. He humbles himself to those who are lower than him. And by doing so, he shows that he loves those who follow him. That he is a servant. That he has come to serve and not to be served. Whenever I think about that, I, I, I remember this meme that I saw where Jesus is doing a, a I don't, do you guys know what breakdancing is? I don't know. I know we have a, a mixed age group here, but b-boying or breakdancing, there's a, there's a meme where Jesus is doing a windmill in the background and the caption says, I came to serve, not to be served. But that is true. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so he gives this example. And he actually walks the walk, not just talks the talk. He serves his disciples. And he does the most humiliating task in that cultural setting, washing someone else's feet. Lowering himself, washing the feet of those who are his students, his disciples, his servants. And as we go on further in verse 6, we see a particular exchange during this moment between Peter and Jesus. And, and I'm so grateful that John through the Holy Spirit, pen this section. He gives us a little glimpse, right? In verse 6, Jesus comes to Simon Peter. And Peter, knowing what Jesus is about to do, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's appalled. 
You can see, you can imagine he almost shirks his little toes back. He says, no. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Often in the Gospel of John, we see this theme of of misunderstanding or, or not fully knowing what's happening. If we can click and look, we see in many instances that Jesus says, or we're told by John himself, that these things happened, but at the time, people were not aware until after the resurrection. In John 2, during the cleansing of the temple, we're told, when therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the world and the word that Jesus had spoken. In John 12, during the triumphal entry, when he comes in riding a donkey, we're told that his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. And in John 20, at the resurrection, he, one of the disciples, saw and believed. For as yet, for until this point, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But John 14, here, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What Jesus is saying to Peter right now is, you might not know right now what is happening, but he's saying you will know after. You will understand once the Holy Spirit opens up your mind and once you see and understand the resurrection. But we move forward and we see Peter, just as Jesus said, still doesn't understand. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Peter and Jesus seem to be almost in a humble battle. Jesus is trying to wash his feet. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, you will never and they, they keep going back and forth. And Jesus answered him, finally, if I do not wash you, you have no share. You have no inheritance with me. In this verse, we see that the foot washing represents the forgiveness of sin, a cleansing, a purification that is necessary before coming before a holy God. Jesus is saying, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no share in the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven with me. You cannot be with me. Jesus is saying, I must wash your feet. At this point, in verse 8, the washing of the feet points to the cross that forgives sins. But Peter's categorical understanding will not let him accept this scandalous act that Jesus, his master, would wash his feet. If Peter and even the disciples at this point couldn't even allow this to, to, to be so, how could they ever accept the, the amazing and scandalous and offensive news and the message of the cross that a Savior, a King, a God would die for the wretched sinners? Here, Jesus is moving Peter in baby steps. Moving his feet along. So that as he sees what Jesus has spoken played out, 
he would understand, and he would know what Jesus is doing. And this act of love of washing his feet, yes, it's a, a obvious visible act of feet washing, but also it goes deeper as it points to the cross of Jesus, as it destroys this worldly framework and categorical understanding that Peter and the disciples, and often you and I have. You know, so often, we've mentioned it before, we, it's so hard for us to accept the beauty of the gospel because we can't fathom that someone that beautiful and amazing who created us loves us even though we are so dirty. But Jesus shows us this picture here as he washes the feet of his disciple that this is so, that this is possible, and even greater still, the cross that proclaims Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross for us. But it's still interesting because Peter doesn't fully get the picture. As we go on in verse 9, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I like Peter. And we'll come back to Peter's disposition. But he, he's an all or nothing guy, isn't he? When Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no inheritance. You have no share in me. He says, well then Lord, wash all of me. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Get under my nails. I want to be clean. And here, because Peter misunderstands, Jesus addresses him again in verse 10 through 11. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And we see here the illustration and analogy of the feet washing takes a little bit of a different analogy. That Peter is already clean. And the washing of the feet represents Forgiveness as he may wander. But he points out here that not everyone, although they may have their feet washed, are clean. And he's referring to Judas. In this context right here in verses 10 through 11, we see that the feet washing points us to the cross that continues to forgive as we stumble and fall. We see Jesus here showing that the washing of the feet, yes, represents the forgiveness of sin. But the washing of the feet also helps us to see that all other future stumblings and failings are also forgiven. That Jesus washes the feet that often take us to dark places, that often make us prone to wander. The act of the servant here now is also the act of the Savior. There is this understanding as sinners who are saved by grace that we are already, but not yet. That we are made beautiful, but not yet perfected. And so verse 1 tells us that Jesus loved His own who were in the world. In the world walking the dusty roads. In the world being led astray. In the world finding themselves lost again. The feet were clean. The souls were clean. But Jesus here washes the feet because we're also prone to wander. 
Jesus shows how much he loves his disciples by washing their feet, a washing that represents the forgiveness of sins as we continue to fall and repent and follow after him, a washing that comes from the fountain below the cross. Again, coming back to Peter, you know, I think Peter is, we can relate to him. Peter in some ways is like, he's like a Philly guy. He's all or nothing. And if we trace Peter's footsteps, we see that he eventually denies Jesus after telling him that he would give his life for Jesus. But as we continue to follow his footsteps, we see that Peter also is led back into fellowship with Jesus once more. Let me put it in another way. We see a glimpse of the interaction between Peter and Jesus here. Peter's foot being washed. And as we trace his footsteps along the journey, as he tells Jesus that he's willing to even die for him, that he would give his life for him, then we see upon Jesus' being arrested that he says, I don't know that man. All of a sudden, the one who would promise to give his life for Jesus says, I don't know who he is. But upon the resurrection, upon seeing Christ again, we see that he is back in fellowship. And do you know what Jesus asks Peter? After the resurrection, Peter meets Jesus again. And he says, do you love me? Almost asking Peter, do you now understand why I washed your feet? He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he says this three times as if to undo the three denials that Peter has given. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you now understand why I washed your feet? So that even though you may wander and get lost and dusty again, I will never lose you and you will never be too far from me as you come back in repentance. You are made new again. He says, Peter, do you love me? After showing him his love, washing his feet, the resurrected Jesus would come before Peter again and say, do you love me? Because I love you. Do you understand now? And when Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you, he says, then feed my sheep. So we see that upon washing, the feet that once made us lost now takes us to be found in him. As we trace where we have gone and see all the places that our feet has led us, I want to encourage us, church, to run to him. That Jesus loves his own to the end. Not just the end of his own life, but by the cross making it possible to the end of our own life. Let me give you an illustration here. Imagine a father or a husband knowing that they would pass soon, leaving his family and his children behind not only took care of all the funeral arrangements, but also has made a way to support his family in every mile marker that he anticipated to come. Every birthday, every anniversary, 
they would receive something from the father to be reminded that they are loved or by the husband that, that they are loved. When it comes time to go to college, they will realize that there was a fund already made in their name. When it comes time to buy a house, they would see that there was already money stored up. You see, Jesus not only loved us to the end of his own life, but he made a way to love us to the end of our own life. Last week we said when Jesus paid our debt, he paid it in full. Not just the past debt, but all future debt that would accrue as we stumble and fall and grow and mature. Let me put it in this way. When Jesus paid the debt of our sin, he didn't just pay off the principal He paid off any possible interest that would accrue over time in the future. He covered it all. He loved us to the end, no matter where our feet takes us. He has washed it, and he says, come. Come, no matter how far you may feel you have gone, come. He says, do you love me? As if to ask us, in other words, now do you understand? How much I love you. Now do you understand in part when I tell you I love you to the end. Not death do us part, but to the end. Now this would be a really nice place to wrap it all up, right? I'd go back to the initial punchline and the illustration and we would feel good about it knowing that we are so loved. Knowing that our master would even dare wash our feet even more, die on the cross for our sins, and we would leave here with a sense of love and a joy. But this is not the end. This is not the end. Our third point, the example for servants. These cleansed feet must now take the good news and do to others as it, was, as it was done for them. Just as Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep, we are also given a charge. I think of Isaiah 52, 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, here's the rub right here. Upon knowing and understanding how much you are loved, the Lord Jesus Christ now wants to send you to others. To not just leave the presence of Christ with the self-contained understanding and awe for the love that He has for you and you only. But to look around and, and to see that it wasn't just your feet that was washed, that it was your brothers and sisters around you. Jesus sets an example. Verses 12, when He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments, He resumed His place. And He said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? Here again we hear echoes of how Jesus in the beginning laid aside His outer garments and took the form of a servant. But now upon doing the act of a servant, He puts His outer garments back on and He resumes His place as if to say that He sat down at the right hand of God after the work of salvation. He sits back down and He looks at His disciples and says, Do you now understand what I have done for you. 
He continues verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord, if I then now your teacher, have washed your feet, shattering any cultural understanding of what is appropriate or not, how far a love is limited or restrained, If then I, your Lord and teacher, has crushed all cultural barriers or understandings or categories of love and washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is a charge driven by love. This is not a rebuke, brothers and sisters. So don't just start to feel guilty. What Jesus is saying here is, you are so loved. I love you so much. Now show that love to one another. Know that you are so loved. Let that love speak into your insecurities, your bitterness, your callous. And love one another. Wash one another's feet. And so if you look under you, I have water already placed, and we're going to wash, I'm just kidding, we're not going to wash one another's feet. Because is Jesus literally asking us to wash one another's feet? Perhaps. It can be taken that way, and many practice this. But broadly speaking, to wash one another's feet, to serve one another in love, going back to Philippians 2, to consider others' needs more important than ourselves. But let me, let me draw it in a little bit, because when we talk about loving others, here's what we tend to do. We tend to generalize it, make it intangible, and feel good, and then there's no application of it actually in the real life, on the ground level, as we grind gears with one another. So when Jesus, here in this context, is telling his disciples to do what was done for them to one another, Jesus is is not saying, now take that heart of love, go outside and just love everybody. Mm, Come here, God bless you. God bless you. I love you. Jesus loves you. No, it's not a general charge just to go out and and spread love. Jesus says, do this to one another. Do this to your brothers who are sitting next to you at this table with stinky feet. Do this to your brothers who might have offended you along the way. Do this to the brother that annoys you the most and just, oh, gets under your skin. Do this to not just your brothers and sisters, but even to your enemies as Jesus washes the feet of Judas. So when Jesus is dressing his disciples, I want to narrow it in for us. Yes, we want to be upward and outward, but before we do that, let's pause. And I want to challenge us, church, if we understand that we are loved in this magnitude by Jesus, can we love one another? Can we wash one another's feet? No, Jesus, you're asking too much. You're asking too much. Why can't I just go out there into the mission field and out there and and just love on people? Jesus, no. We shouldn't just love one another when it's easy and convenient. Love each other when it's hard. As Jesus loved his disciples in the days leading up to his crucifixion, knowing that he would be betrayed, knowing that he would be arrested, knowing that he would be tried, knowing that he would be crucified, Jesus was not having a good week. He didn't love when it was easy for him to love. He showed us an example in the context where we can love one another when our life seems to be at its worst. 
to love one another when it's difficult. Verse 16 to 17 continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, if you know, if you understand that Jesus loves you to the end, blessed are you if you do them. There's a distinct charge here to, to, to now do what you know, to now give what you have received. You know, verse 17 is just one of those verses we like to just just skim over. We want to take all the good stuff, the juicy, gushy love. And when we get to verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them, we shirk away. But brothers and sisters, may we lay aside our pride and take the form of a servant for one another, particularly, especially for those who are in the household of our own faith, for those who are even on our own team here. May we be spiritual feet washers who follow the example of Christ as he loved his own, even showing love to the one who betrayed him. If this is too difficult for you to understand or to do, then continue to reflect on the love that Jesus shows you. If this is hard and difficult for you to do, don't take it as rebuke. Don't get defensive. No one is saying you're a horrible Christian. If this is difficult for you to do, then pause and reflect on how much Jesus loves you. And how much Jesus loves you. And continue to put yourself in that scene as Jesus washes your feet and he tells you, I love you till the end. And start slowly moving towards praying and asking for the ability to love those closest to you. Again today we see Jesus' love that has no end. He loves us to the end of his own life and he loves us to the end of our own. And he shows us this by taking the form of a servant, performing the act of a servant, and even setting the example for all servants like you and I. Can we spend some time praying and reflecting on God's word, on the challenge, on the encouragement? Can we spend some time praying and, and just really letting the love of Christ sink in? And if you're still having trouble for whatever reason, then, then ask that the Holy Spirit would soften your heart and, and minister to you and help you understand and reveal these things to you that, that Christ loves you. No matter how dusty your feet may be, no matter how far you may have wandered, would you come before Christ again who washes the feet of sinners? And if the Spirit so moves you in this time, to pray and repent and think about those who you perhaps have tension with. Will you ask the Lord to lead you and soften your heart just as it has been softened before Christ's service to you, that you would be able to love your brothers and sisters here, 